0: Session
1: with Dr. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Holakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310-441-0555. And free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310 4410555 555 Before I do the summary of the book from this past week, this week's book comes to us from um, the realm of sports psychology. I try to include some books from various topics, uh, social psychology, neuroscience. Um, we even had a book of literature a couple of weeks ago. So try to mix it up. And I thought it'd be good to have one from the world of sports psychology and just some minimal meat research that I did. I came across this one, uh, which appeared to have good reviews, which is The Champion's Mind by Jim Afromo. The Champion's Mind, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive. Um, so hopefully you'll join me in checking this one out as I kind of alluded to. I haven't read it before, so I don't know much about it. Just started a bit um, recently and uh, we'll have it ready for next Monday's show. But the book from this past week, which I'll talk about tonight, is The Trauma of Everyday Life by Dr. Mark Epstein. The Trauma of Everyday Life. Um, And this book, I didn't, I hadn't really heard of it before and didn't know much about what it was about, but I did like the title and the first chapter name made me think, okay, this is a book I, I could enjoy. The first chapter is called The Way Out is Through, um, which is a quote I've heard attributed to lots of people when I really like, uh, but it was really, it was interesting book. I didn't realize how much um, the book actually, uh, what he does, this author, Dr. Epstein, is he looks at the life or in some ways the awakening of uh, the Buddha and how this relates to psychology and also trauma in general and dealing with trauma so really it looks at his life and he shares lots of other stories as well but looking at how he developed in a way his own psychology the buddha uh, developed a psychology and i thought that was it was pretty interesting to get that perspective and insight but even the title itself the trauma of everyday life i was drawn to that title because We sometimes think of trauma as something that has to be really significant, some huge event. And in some ways, we define it in that way. When we talk about a traumatic experience, we think of um, some kind of attack or assault or natural disaster or something huge that's happened in our life. But as he talks about in this title, essentially mentions is that every day we experience traumas, many traumas. There's pains of loneliness, of Um, something missing in your life of breakups, of missing someone. Maybe you were with someone for a few days and they leave and you feel a pain. Uh, That would be, could be considered some kind of mini trauma as well. And this idea that we all experience traumas and pains, something that could be good to remember when you encounter anyone that everyone has been through. Something is going through something, is fighting some kind of battle and remembering that about ourselves as well. So to begin with, there is this idea in the Western world that when it comes to issues and problems, whether they're psychological or medical, whatever it might be, we're just supposed to figure out how to get rid of them. What's the problem? How do you remove it? Or what pill do you take to make it go away? That's kind of the idea we have. Or when it comes to psychology, this idea that, um, okay, you kind of understand why you're hurting and now you should be done with it. You should go away, get rid of the problem, go away from that pain. So often clients come into therapy and their expectation is, oh, I have this problem. How does it stop? Or this is bad. I know. How do you get rid of it? And the focus is just on removing something that they think is a bad part of themselves or um, a broken part of themselves or part of themselves that shouldn't exist or isn't part of even who they are. And that's the mindset that many people have when it comes to approaching themselves. How do I get rid of this? when it comes to me, but what Mark Epstein talks about in this book is that really we should be doing the opposite rather than trying to just get rid of and going away from our pain, from our suffering. We have to actually look at it and embrace it and experience it. That is what we should be doing rather than going away. This idea of acceptance is the key. And that's where that title of the only way out is through. You don't avoid the pain. You can't get away from it. You have to go through it. You have to actually experience it to get there. And many psychologists will acknowledge that the goal of a healthy psyche, to have a healthy psychological health, is to integrate all parts of yourself. Not to get rid of this part or that part, but to integrate everything, even parts of yourself that you think are bad what we sometimes maybe can call your shadow, these negative attributes about yourself, or you think they're negative attributes of yourself you wish were not true. Many people think, the way I'm going to get better is to get rid of those parts of me, my anger. If I could just get rid of anger, I would be such a good person, or my sadness, or um, my arrogance even. It could be something like that. But if you actually learn to integrate them and understand them, that's where we achieve health. That's where we achieve Uh, what we want to do so in this book i won't go through everything he discusses about the buddha's life um, but it was interesting looking at his awakening as he describes it um, using various sources and how he thinks it can relate to looking at trauma and this idea that rather than avoiding our pain which almost all of us are doing at some level we need to embrace our pain and face our pain and actually experience it um we do it in so many ways avoiding it from Drugs and alcohol to really directly remove it uh, to more maybe subtle ways like denying it altogether without realizing it is there. We think this is the way to make ourselves feel better or the goal of what we're supposed to do. So, being trauma is, is human or having trauma is, tr- is human, is part of being human. Everyone has experienced pain. And when we embrace that, we do much better. And not only that, when you can look at your own pain, when you can recognize that you have suffered acknowledge it accept it and even love yourself and love what you've been through it opens the door for you to be much more compassionate to other people's suffering and pain it opens the door for both self compassion and compassion towards others when i recognize that i have been hurt and i feel how it hurts and make it much makes it much easier for me to see the pain and recognize the pain in others and actually when callers call into my show or my dad's shows or things like that where people are sharing about their pain there is something that we i think all experience of connecting to whoever it is that's talking now we maybe have never experienced anything exactly like what they're talking about maybe it seems so different from us but there's something in that understanding of pain of suffering that we can connect to and relate to, whether or not it's something we have ourselves experienced. And even as a therapist, we draw on that. If I don't have a connection to my own pain, how can I help my clients connect to their pain and recognize it's okay to experience it? But if I'm trying to run away from my pain, if I want not to experience it, it's going to be much harder for me to tolerate my client's pain, to go there with them, to experience it. And of course, this relates to parents as well. And so many parents suffer with this issue of not wanting to feel their own pain and because of that, not wanting to feel their child's pain or let their child feel any pain or suffering. Of course, we don't allow them to suffer needlessly or for no reason, but we recognize it's going to be a part of life. And rather than just try to make it disappear, we want to connect with our kids through their pain. Oh, that that really seemed like it made you sad. Rather than, oh, who cares what people say? Doesn't matter what happened. You want to connect to them and say, I understand you're hurting and hurting is part of life and that is okay. It's not something you have to avoid. Now, in looking at more even serious trauma, something he talked about in this book, a way of describing trauma, and he also uses a lot of writings from the a very famous writer in the psychological field, uh, Winnicott, but he talked about trauma in a way I hadn't quite heard Um, which I found really interesting. But he was saying when we look at traumas uh, and people who even are familiar with things like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, someone who's dealing with a trauma in that way, it almost seems like they're still experiencing it or that it hasn't gotten into their past. They're still living out the pain. They're still even living out the moment um, where things happen to them physically, psychologically, uh, in every kind of way. But the way they explained it in the book, or him and other authors that he shared their writings, was that the reason why it is in that way is that they've never actually fully experienced it for it to become part of their past. Something can't become part of your past till you've actually experienced it. And very often when we experience a traumatic event, something very, very painful, it's so overwhelming that we can't experience all of it at that time. We actually don't fully experience it. And people do things like dissociate or even black out or forget parts of it, or they think they've forgotten parts of it, but it's still there. And because they haven't fully experienced it, it's impossible for them to move past it and for them to move on. And this is why lots of therapies that deal with trauma actually involve facing the pain, facing the trauma. It's not, let's pretend like it never happened. Let's erase it from your memory. Let's um, just think about why it happened and get rid of it, is that you actually have to go experience that and face that pain. So this is something that the a message from this book that for me was important is recognizing that the significance of that message. Go and look at the pain in your life. Don't try to avoid it. Don't try to deny it. And even when it comes to facing your own pain, don't say, okay, I'm going to go face it, but that's just because I want to get rid of it because that's what some people do. We think, okay, I understand it's good to face my pain, but I only want to do it if it means it's going to go away. And sometimes our pain doesn't just disappear. Sometimes you always will carry that pain. People sometimes experience a significant loss, uh, maybe the death of a loved one, especially something like the death of a child. And they maybe think, or people ask, will they ever get over it? And maybe that shouldn't even be the goal. And maybe really it's not possible if you ask me to get over something that's significant. We might not always get over the pains and that's not even what we should focus on. We have to try to understand that this is now a part of our life, that wound, that pain is a part of our life, and we can live with it, but rather than try to avoid it or pretend like we're okay, pretend like we're happy and it's not affecting us. The best thing we can do is to face it and accept it and recognize that by facing our pain, rather than it bringing us down, it can actually be a vehicle for our growth. Through our pain, we can actually grow. And even in the book in describing the Buddha's Buddha's life, his awakening in a sense comes from facing his own pain. His mother died when he was about a week old. And this is something that, uh, as Dr. Epstein describes in the book, very often in the writings of his life or when people describe it, it's somehow minimized as if it wasn't painful or it didn't happen, uh, or it didn't affect him, but he talks about how he thinks it absolutely did. And it wasn't until he faced that pain, that primitive a- agony, as he calls it, that he actually was able to awaken. So it's not from avoiding our pain or just transcending our pain that we grow, but it's actually from facing it, experiencing it and learning from it that we can grow to see what actually happened to us. And this book, um, Outlines one of the main principles when we talk about meditation and mindfulness, which is that of acceptance and that acceptance is so important. Even if you do want to change, you need to accept yourself and love yourself as you are before you will be able to do that. Until you really look at who you are and what you are, you can't change. Uh, An analogy I like to use is if your car is broken down and you say, okay, I need it to be in Westwood. And it's somewhere else but you keep focusing on but it should be in westwood which is what we all do we say no but i should be over it now or i should be this or i should have changed in this way it should be here you can never get your car to westwood unless you go to where it's broken down where it is right now you have to accept the reality of what's happening now meet yourself there and only then can you actually change and grow and go towards your goal you can't just keep wishing or hoping you're at your goal or just pretending like you're there and thinking that's going to make things better. The first step has to be acceptance. And that recognition of I can accept and love myself as I am is often the prerequisite to actually grow and progress towards whatever it is we want to do. So I really did enjoy the book because um, I didn't know so much about the Buddha's life in this much detail as was discussed in the book and looking at how he progressed and how this can relate to psychology and how we talk about trauma and just personal growth which i found really interesting Um, it wasn't a book i'd heard much about but i'm glad i picked it up and read it so if you haven't i would recommend the book the trauma of everyday life by mark epstein Um, so check that out if you can tell me what you think about it and again the book for this week comes from sports psychology it's the champion's mind how great athletes think train and thrive by Jim Afromo. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
0: Hello. Hi, doctor.
1: Hi, thank you for calling.
0: Oh, thank you for your time, my and pleasure. thank you for, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talking to
1: you. <laughs> oh, well, I'm happy to be talking to you as well. Thanks for calling.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. Just, uh, doctor, I tell you, if I don't know something in English, can I tell you in Farsi?
1: We'll try our best. We'll try to keep it all in English if we can, because we have some
0: non-Farsi-speaking listeners. I my best, but, but please, you do your best. Okay, we'll listeners.
1: work together. No problem.
0: <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, doctor, uh, first of all, I have to introduce about myself first, and mm-hmm. then I'm talking about my... Uh, I have two uh, beautiful and uh, small girls, mm-hmm. and the uh, sixth and eight. The sixth one is absolutely fine. She doesn't care about anything, and she's so easygoing, and she can stay in her home and play with herself sometimes or do her homework. And, uh, uh, of course, sometimes she comes to me and asks me lots of questions, but she's easy, you know but the second one i mean the first one 8 years old i don't know because she is the first one and uh, she's so sensitive doctor she's so sensitive and uh, uh, for example i give you some example and uh, i really don't know what should i do and i try to um, i try to control myself i try to control my temper when she, sen- she starts to cry or something and uh, before i tell about examples about my daughter i have to uh, I have to tell you about myself okay. um I brought up with a very controlling o c d mom. she controlled me all the time all the time all the time, even sometimes if i for example uh, uh, I let her to control me right now she is start to controlling me again, hmm. and she doesn't give up i mean and um but thank god she's back home she's not here but uh uh, she had ocd uh, badly and uh, i right now i figure it out that i'm just following her because Mm -hmm. i am i i kind of have ocd and I am very controlling. I'm just asking my daughter, "What have you done?" And uh, where did you do Where did you go, for example, in a school? Uh, did you play with your friends?" Or mm-hmm. I have very silly questions. I just keep asking them. And I don't know. These, I, because I am controlling, I made her uh, um, sensitive, or she's, a, she's a sensitive um, by herself. I really don't know. Well, but I give you some. Sure. Uh, pardon me. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, but I give you some example about her. Sen- uh, how how is she sensitive? Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, she's now she's eight years old, and she's uh, this year she goes to the new school, and she found a very good friends. And uh, uh, the the one thing that I tried to tell her, um, the previous school, she had some. BFF, which is best friend mm-hmm. forever, and I try to tell her that is the BFF is a very good, but you know you have to be friends with all your classmates. Not exactly just. Uh, of course, you you are getting closer to one or two, three of the uh, classmates. But I try to tell her don't think about BFF
1: because. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think we're we're seeing some of your controlling side. Uh, coming oh out oh my
0: god yes doctor <laughs> i it, mean
1: you're telling her how to be friends me not yeah. from her
0: poor hair <laughs> oh. oh, yeah well, i destroy well, her I oh don't.
1: well destroy is a strong word your daughter is probably doing okay and even to answer your question was it you that made her sensitive is she sensitive i mean i care in the sense that i want to see what you're doing from now on but i also in hearing you say that there's a judgment of your child so you're saying something's exactly. wrong with her. So we want to. what I want to you know, say is even if you have the most sensitive child on the planet, let's just say if she is that, we want to love her as she is. I'm not saying you don't want to help her grow and see what she can do, but you want to make sure she feels good as she is. Because even in how you described the six-year-old, which first of all, I mean, it could have just been the way you said it, but you said she doesn't care about anything, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, I don't know if you mean that in the traditional sense, but, and you said she's easy. It doesn't necessarily mean that's better or good. And you want to make sure they don't feel that difference. Because even in how you're talking, and of course, in you calling me about the eight-year-old, that clearly means you're giving them the message that, okay, the eight-year-old has a problem or is not okay. And the six-year-old is okay. And that's, for me, is a big deal that I want you to make sure your job isn't to try to change them to make them anything or to control them and to becoming more this way or that way or having friends in this way. But your biggest responsibility is to make sure they both feel loved and accepted as they are, for who they are, not because they need to be this or that, or because they're easy or they do something good or bad. So that's something that really I want you to, we'll talk about what's going on and maybe some things we, we can like you can try, but I want you to remember that your responsibility is to make sure both of your kids get loved and accepted as they are not, they would be better some other way?
0: Oh, of course, of course. You know, uh, I, I first of all, I forgot to tell you something about my mom. My mom was very controlling and kind of very serious. She mm-hmm. was very serious. And I can remember uh, that she hugged me and kissed me. And, uh, you know, uh, she always worked and she thought I, I might my just, uh, she just bought me many things, very expensive things, and she thought I am okay with that one. But sometimes I was thinking I really need her hug. Mm. One night when she came from work, I was in my bed and she just cleaned up my, uh, blanket. And the doctor swear to God in the morning I didn't want to change my position mm. because I was in the heaven that my mom just, mm-hmm. you know, just fixed my blanket for me and when i got married when i got i'm sorry when i uh, got my first kid I gave her love, I just, all the time, even now, I hug her, kiss her in the morning, I just, uh, you know, ticklish them, and I, I'm, I never go to bed and said, okay, wake up, wake up, it's time to go to school, something like that, it's, it looks like mm-hmm. a military, I'll always go sit and just, uh, you know, massage her back and said, okay, how are you, how was been, you know, did you have a good sleep, did you have a funny dream or something, and she starts to make up something or... The, is it real I don't know, and I listened to her and hug her and kiss her, and said, "Okay, go, go fast, fast, the school is going to be late, something like that, mm-hmm. and then go to the six years old and uh, exactly the same as the other one I'm doing to the six year old too and uh, I gave them love, and, you know, I spend lots of time with them to uh, take them to their lots of classes after school. Or sometimes I'm going to the park with them. Even, um, it's very hard for me to go to the monkey bars, and I try to do something, and they're all her friends, uh, they said
1: today my kid you have a very cool mom. i mm-hmm. I'm sure I you're com- I'm sure you're a great mom and you you know I and you don't have to prove to me that you're a good mom. So I'm not and what I said wasn't I don't mean to say you don't love them. I'm sure you love them a lot. Uh, and you make that very clear. And also we can tell that you know we always get affected by how our parents treat us and because your mother was not loving as far as affection goes at all, it seems like you're making sure your kids don't feel that way. And of course, sometimes we have to be careful we can overdo it because if we didn't get something, we almost can give too much of it in some ways. Not that you can give too much love, but we might give it in a way that the kids don't like or isn't good for them, which we can talk about. But also your controlling side of your mom, you did take on. So I'm not saying you don't love the eight-year-old or you don't show her you love her. I'm sure you do in so many ways. But we have to be careful that there aren't ways that we tell her she's not okay as she is, which you even did with her friend. She's telling you, Mom, I'm so close to this girl. We're BFFs, and we're going to do this and do that, and we're going to be friends forever. And it seems like that scared you, and you said, No, I have to make sure she has friends with lots of people. Where it could have just been like, that's wonderful. Tell me more about your friend. That's great. You guys are are so close. You're getting to know each other. But you went to the controlling place of she's supposed to have friends with lots of people. What if she just has friends with this girl and they become isolated and then she has a bad, you know, this friend breaks her heart and then she has no one. And she's, I don't know where you went, but I'm just kind of pretending that that's where your mind could have went. And so you thought you had to change the way she was having friendships. So indirectly you told her the way you're best friends with this girl is not good. Something is not okay. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about accepting them as they are. It's not that I don't think you love them and give them hugs and tell them lots of nice things. I'm sure you do. But you also have to be aware of the things you tell them that might give them another message too of you need to be different or I'm worried about the way you are. I hope you'll change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh,
0: Doctor, it's, uh, that is the problem because... Um Why I told her that, uh, you know, BFF is something, something like that, because uh, uh, she's so sensitive. If the BFF, when she wants to be a friend with the girl, she wants her all for herself. And mm-hmm. the other day, she come. The other, the uh, last year from the previous school, she came home one day and she started to. She was cranky, and I told myself something happened in the school. And I tried to ask him, ask her what's going on, what's happened. And and finally, she said, "You know what? I love this. I love her." And I gave her a, a friendship a necklace. And today, she she gave it back. Mm-hmm. And she said, "Why did she gave it back?" I said, "You know what?" she told me i want to play with for example the other one but you just always i want to play with you i don't mm-hmm. want it and they said that's why i said you have to be friends with the lots of kids and leave leave your bff alone to play with somebody <laughs> now, else
1: now your advice has some you know truth to it but do you feel like you let her know you understood that that was very hurtful like you can get why oh. she was so sad me yeah Okay. Then that's the part where I'm saying, I think that's the part. And most parents miss this part. And even just most people in general, someone comes to us and they're sad. We think we have to fix it or we have to solve it or give them the right advice. And even as parents, exactly. we think. Yeah. So exactly. When sh-
0: I, doctor, I think I have to solve it and yes. I have to send her to a school happy.
1: And look, and- even, and even you think about this, look what she was doing with this friend of hers. She was being controlling with her so oh yes right so we're seeing that even your you can be passing this on already to your daughter and it also could be something where she's starving for your love and attention she wants all of you she has to share you with her dad and with her sister so there could be something there too and this is why rather than focusing on just solving it even when it's about ourselves i would want you first to try to understand her pain and connect her like of course, how sad. Imagine someone you give someone a best friend necklace and they give it back to you. No matter what age you are, you would be sad about that. I would be sad if a best friend told me, I don't want this necklace you gave me or this gift you gave me, and I want to go talk with other friends. That would make anyone sad. So rather than telling her, you shouldn't be sad about it or here's the solution... I would go first to, oh, I could see how that would make you so sad. What happened? Tell me more about what happened. Maybe she would even cry to you. She would open up and tell you what was going on. And you could just stay with her. And you have to recognize that your likely reaction is going to be, okay, how do I take this away? How do I take this away? How do I take this away? But you're going to have to try to resist that and recognize what she needs more than anything from me is just to be with her right now. There will be time for advice or talking about solutions or talking about ideas later on, but first I have to connect with her and show her, I understand your pain. It makes sense that you're sad. You didn't do something bad or wrong. You're not a bad person. This pain makes sense and I'm sorry you're hurting and I'm here to help you and support you in any way that you want me to, but I can understand that you're sad right now.
0: Doctor exactly what I have done I just asked her come sit on my lap and tell me what what happened And she started Good. to tell me but you know doctor I think I hook with my I hook somewhere when when I was for example 20 because I got I got angry of that girl you know I think there's mm. something wrong with me not wrong not wrong with the 8 years old and sometimes I think I the other day I told my husband you know she doesn't need help I think I need help I have to see somebody and ask question because if she comes and ask me she thinks okay she's mom she's my hero and she has to solve my problem mm. or she give me ad- advice and sometimes doctor it makes me very nervous if she's yeah. just eight years old if she turned to 16 17 it's a very bad age and how can I give her advice at that time and you, you know? don't
1: no, that's the thing you don't always have to that's you're bringing up a great point and that's actually why even a lot of people avoid talking about things with your kid, you won't, but with other people because we think if I talk to them about why they're so sad or something that's going on in their life, I have to know how to solve it. And even as a therapist, I'm not focused on just how am I going to solve their problems. I want to just be there for them. And they, she doesn't need you to solve the problems. A lot of times you don't know. You know, you could tell her, gosh, I don't know. That sounds really difficult. I'm not sure what to do. What do you think? And actually let her talk, uh, come up with some ideas and have a conversation with her. Even if you think you know, I don't think you should tell her, first of all, um, because I said stay with her pain first. But secondly, even to let her explore ideas. Again, don't focus on the solving, focus on the growing. You want her to grow. So you don't need to just fix the problem for her because she doesn't grow that way. And actually, that's one of the biggest issues we have with controlling parents is they don't let their kids solve their own problems or work through their own issues and and face their own life. And because of that, they don't actually get to grow. So as much as you think you're helping her by solving everything for her, you're actually holding her back. Because yes, if let's say you fix this this friendship now, but when she's 16, 18, 20, and she has to figure it out all on her own, she can't come to you anymore, she shouldn't. And she needs to be able to figure it out what to do and to trust herself. But when she thinks she has to come to you to solve everything, that takes away her confidence in herself that i can actually help my own life i can figure it out myself so that pressure you're feeling is very strong um and you know because we, we started talking about some things that we're at a commercial break just if you don't mind hanging on the line we'll talk a bit after the commercial as well okay
0: oh no sure yes, yeah thanks sure.
1: for calling okay all right you're listening to in session with dr Fadi delocco we will be right back back. Before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to her. Caller, are you still there? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so we were talking about your children, and specifically, we we're talking about the eight-year-old. Um, you're worried yes. about her being, as you said, too too sensitive, or you're worried she's sensitive about a lot of things. Um, yes. And you know, you talked before about why she might be so. Genetically, she of course is gonna get the anxiety from you. So we have to expect that I at some so, level. Right. Yeah. And also, but then also that we can't change now. But how you can't? Cannot. We, can't? <laughs> we cannot change her genetics. No. You're oh, done. Yeah, sure, right. <laughs> but but what we can affect is how you are gonna deal with deal with her now or be a parent towards her. And also, you know, something you mentioned before about yourself. And I'm glad you have that insight into saying, you know what, maybe I I need to work on myself rather than trying to change my daughter, which to me is a great approach. Parents always are going to consciously and unconsciously take out their own issues on their children. And you have some awareness of your mother and you said she was controlling and has OCD and was not a loving mother at all. And we can be sure that that has affected you in general, but especially you as a parent. And I would, if you're open to it and you think you want to do it, I hope you would go to your own therapy to look at what's going on here um, and help yourself. And even that in itself, it's saying, my daughter, you're not the problem I am. Not that you even have to tell her, you can. But we don't. I don't want to make your daughter the problem. And I don't even think of you as the problem. But I think it could be good for you to go and look at what's going on for you to help you be an even better mother for your kids. I'm sure you're already doing a great job, but you can be even better and recognize that your own fear of feeling upset or feeling down makes you so scared to let your daughter feel sad or feel upset and you think you have to fix her problems when rather than being a fixer um, you can be more of a feeler with your daughter you don't have to fix the problems you can feel them with her be there with her exactly Yeah. So, you know, the perspective you have is what most parents have. I always tell parents, your job isn't to make your kids happy. That's what parents think. If my kid is sad, I'm doing a bad job. If they're happy, I'm doing a good job. But being a human being involves being sad, being angry, being what might look like sensitive about certain things. That's part of being human. And we want to make sure we give them that message that it's okay to feel all those things because like it or not, they're going to feel those things.
0: You know what, doctor? What's uh, I'm just when when you told me about this, I'm thinking about myself, Mm -hmm. and I easily myself. It's exactly I look like my mom. Mm -hmm. I easily lost my control and uh, lost my temper actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, I ask, I I just told them, okay, it's bedtime. Go wash your uh, brush your teeth. And the six years old just once, just once, I ask her, and she go to the. Uh, you know just brush her teeth and then go to bed but the uh, eight years old i at least three times i asked her mm-hmm. and the fourth time i lost my temper and i said okay i'm telling you this is the fourth time go brush your teeth and she she asked me why are you a- very very mm. uh, relaxed why are you angry <laughs> I said, mommy it's nine o'clock. It's." You know, the fourth time I asked you, go to, you know, brush. And always she said, oh, mommy, I wish I had more time with dad. Hmm. You're very easy to lose your control. I said, I, you know, you, 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 I, you know, I'm just What did you, did you, you make, did you tell her you make, did you tell her you make
1: me lose my, you make me lose my temper? exactly yeah that's I mean and that and, and this is exactly what we want to you know avoid the, the idea that your kids are supposed to listen to you is not even right you know if they brush their teeth because you tell them to brush your teeth we have a problem because one day you won't be there to tell them to brush their teeth and they won't do it they have to brush their teeth because they think it's good because they want to have a clean mouth they want to you know not have to go to the dentist as often to, to have different issues just like if you force them to do their homework it might get done every night but it doesn't teach them that it's good to do our responsibilities it's fun to learn it's a good thing to do we have to let them do it so this idea that them listening to us is good and them not listening to us is bad it's a very many most people believe this but especially in our persian culture we think that's true and even the way you talk about your six-year-old I'm not saying something is not okay there, but it doesn't necessarily mean a good thing if she listens to everything you say. It's easier for you, especially with your uh, controlling side and the anxiety it gives you. But that to me doesn't mean it's actually she's okay. Sometimes the kid who always listens to us has a lot more pain inside that we know about. But maybe they're aware that if I do what mommy likes, she becomes happy and she treats me with love so let me just always do what she likes even if it's not what i want to do and we don't want to teach our kids that we want to teach our kids oh. if they disagree they should tell us so you know the persian thing is if you go to a dinner party and there's one kid who's four years old and he doesn't move from beginning till the end he's the good kid <laughs> Sometimes that's the kid with the most problems. We say, look at this good boy. He didn't move the whole night. He exactly. sat there. That's not what a 4 year olds supposed to do. So if I go somewhere and I see a four-year-old, I just think that kid is probably very afraid of his parents or very afraid of being punished. It doesn't tell me he's a good kid. That's not even what a 4 year olds supposed to do. So your child, your children never have to listen to you and that doesn't make them good or bad. Your job is to always understand them. You know, if they they're having some issue, try to figure out what's going on. But when we try to control everything, then if it doesn't go our way, we get angry. I need it to be this way because this is the right way. This is the only way it's good. If it's not, I'm going to get angry and you won't be able to control your temper. If you're always coming from the place of it has to be what I say. You, you even said yourself, it, let's listen to what you said earlier. When I wake them up, I don't just tell them to wake up. I don't want it to be like the military. But we just said right now is I've told you three times, why aren't you doing exactly what I said? So although you want to make it not like the military because it's something you experienced yourself of the controlling nature of your mom, we're seeing how that's still coming through in your parenting, that feeling of wanting to control everything, have it be your way every time. And if it's not, it's bad. And if it is, it's good. And my six-year-old is good because she always listens the first time I tell her. But like I said, I wouldn't just relax on the six-year-old either. And I wouldn't want her to always, um, you know, listen to what you say. When they, your kids disagree, this is a good thing.
0: Yes, doctor, uh, uh, as you said, you said, uh, for example, when I asked her, go to brush your teeth, I have to describe her. I have told her that if you brush your teeth, we don't see dentists or you don't get, because she has uh, uh, some, uh, she had a cavity and mm-hmm. she has a, Uh, as her doctor said she has a jewel in her mouth Mm -hmm. and I told her if you brush your teeth if you you know floss your teeth you don't see your dentist again you don't have a more jewel and you have a healthy you know uh, teeth and uh, I have told her but you uh, you, your suggestion is every time when I just uh, tell her okay step go brush your teeth and just Every time I
1: have to tell her about these. So. No, 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 actually not at all. That's almost too much. And I'm almost saying you're, you're actually starting from the wrong place. You're, you don't have to tell her every night. What I would actually do with her, and I think it's good parents do this in general, is to make a, a bedtime routine with her. You can come up with it together. So a lot of what you're telling her is almost what you said right now is, okay, I'm trying to control her this way. So you're telling me control her that way. And I'm saying don't try to control her at all. But tell her, okay, I want let's come up with a plan together of what you need to do before you sleep and have her tell you, okay, I need to put on my pajamas, I have to brush my teeth, I want to do, you know, whatever it is she wants to do. And you could even come up with a time because also the eight-year-old and the six-year-old might not do things at the same time. Her bedtime might be 30 minutes later than the six-year-old. So I wouldn't say they have to do it at the same time. Maybe it's easier for you, but maybe that doesn't even make sense. But I would have her be more of a part of what's going on. Because you're what you're telling me is how do I control her better? And I don't want you to do that. I want you to let go more. And that's going to be hard for you because when you're coming from a controlling place. The anxiety is telling you, if you don't control it, it's going to be disaster. If you don't control it, things go bad. If it goes a little bit off of what you want it to be, it's a horrible thing. And that's why it would be good for you to go talk to someone. I think it'd be good. I think it's good for everyone to go to therapy because it's going to be hard for you to lose control a little bit, to not be as involved. So When she says no to you, you have to remember, it's not her job to say yes to you. You have to talk with her, not talk at her. Let's have a conversation, not I'm telling you what to do. So as much as you don't want to have a military household, you have to recognize that sometimes you are creating that expectation.
0: What is your suggestion for to me that I don't, uh, when I ask her to do something, mm-hmm. I don't lose my temper, I don't
1: lose <laughs> Well, my that's control. the thing is, you know, asking her to do less things is the first place. So I, I understand sometimes you do, but it, it's not about how do I keep asking her and asking her and not lose my temper. It's realizing, one, I'm not supposed to ask her to do things so much. And two, she's not supposed to listen to me. She's not my... My worker or my, you know, even with the worker, we shouldn't be talking that way. But she's not someone who has to follow my orders. Again, maybe military is an easier example. She's not supposed to listen to you. And again, even I want you to pay more attention to, oh, wow, the little one always listens to what I say. That's not necessarily good either. We want a kid to sometimes say, I don't want to do that right now. That's good. Because that shows they're thinking for themselves. Again, you're not supposed to make them into some mold of the perfect kid. You're supposed to help them grow into themselves. These are the things I like. These are what I don't like. I can do this. I can do that. I can do the other thing. And sometimes I love my mommy, but sometimes we disagree and that's okay. You also want to show them that that just because you love someone doesn't mean you always agree. Sometimes mommy wants this and I don't want it. And what's so great is mommy loves me even when I don't want what mommy wants. Not mommy loves me when I do what mommy says and I think what mommy thinks and I do what mommy wants me to do. So that would be the focus that I would want you to have is not on how to get your eight-year-old to brush her teeth. I don't care that much if he brushes her teeth tonight. I care more that she feels that you love her and accept her as she is. Okay. And that's the shift. So, you know, even if we recognize, we see a lot about someone and what we think the problem is, because I think for you, it's how do I keep controlling her, but in a way that doesn't hurt her, or how do I learn how to control her better so that she does what I want her to do. And I'm trying to tell you, The whole strategy is wrong. Trying to control her is the problem. And that's going to take a big change for you. I don't expect it to be easy. And even I want you to be loving with yourself in the process. Don't judge yourself or beat yourself up. Even you said, I think at one point, I destroyed her. Don't be so hard on yourself either. Because that could actually make you act out more harshly. But recognize that this is something that you can work on. It's going to be hard for you because it's very deep within you, both in your DNA and in your own Uh, environment with your family and your, your mom, but you can work on this. So I hope if you're open to going to therapy, I really would recommend it to get in there and see what you can do because your girls, I'm sure they're fantastic. I know you think they are too, but more and more recognize they have to feel that you love them as they are now. And even if they disagree with you or don't do what you want to do, that's okay. We love them no matter what. And that's your biggest role. I do actually have to go off the air. I just checked the time. But I appreciate you calling because a lot of parents are dealing with similar issues to what you're dealing with. So, so thanks for calling, and I wish you all the best.
0: Thank you so much, doctor, and I'm so glad to talk to you. Oh, and, I'm so happy uh, you I, called. I, 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 I do my best for the next couple of days, and I try to find out uh, somebody to help
1: Yes, me keep working. It's going yeah. to be a process, and if you want to call back, we'd love to talk to you some more.
0: Sure, and just a, a, just a, a small question. Is there any hope for me? Absolutely.
1: I- yes, oh, there no. is. Yes, there's things are okay as they are, but there, you can. there's definitely hope to even make them better. Uh, if you'd like so don't don't give up on yourselves or your kids at all but I appreciate your call and hope to talk to you soon.
0: Thank you so much doctor. All Take
1: right. care. Bye bye. Thank you. Have a good night. Alright thank you to our caller there and all the listeners out there and I'm here, here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night.